I'm Andrew Constantine, and this is A Stick with a Point. There's a diminishing but thoroughly entrancing phenomenon here in the United States of public radio stations which play, almost exclusively, classical music. And they all seem to go by those rather arcane international call signs that make little sense to my British listeners, but which engender a warm and loving loyalty from their own audience. Of course, like most of the arts and appreciation for classical music in general, it can often appear like they are fighting a rearguard action, but that doesn't take anything away from the knowledge, commitment and enthusiasm of those who run these radio stations. Here in Baltimore, there's one particularly driven band of warriors who give so much to the community and who receive tremendous support in return. In this interview, I learned a great deal, and I hope you do too. Enjoy. So I'm joined today by the Interim General Manager of WBJC, and that's Jonathan Palevsky. Now, Jonathan, I really want you to explain to us what WBJC is. So we are a uh, classical music public radio station. And since you're from England, I will just say that in America we have, and I'm from Canada, where we did not have public radio, except over the border, the now closed and forever border. Um, the uh, public radio system is a fascinating one, unique to the US, I think. Uh, I haven't heard of it existing in other places, but maybe it does. It's the listeners who actually pay for this radio station and they pay handsomely for it and enjoy doing it because the station has been in the black since 1987. We're an all classical station. We're licensed to Baltimore City Community College. Um, and uh, our primary format is classical music, though we do some interviews, some community affairs things as well. But most of the time we are playing the great works of uh, Western classical or Western art music, whatever you'd like to call it. Western concert music, maybe. They're all bad names, aren't they, Andrew? They all stink. And there's no real way to talk about the specific music that we love. And yet um, there's a million names that I don't think any of them are good. And I don't think it's for lack of trying. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I really don't know what to call the music I love because um, um, there are so many connotations and uh, labels attached to the, to the concept of classical music. Um, and it really hurts to try and to discuss it and try and um, justify um, your love for an art form that you don't really like the name of. It's, uh, it, it's a challenge for everybody. But I want to come back to the basic concept of the radio station that you um, that you've been involved with for so long, because as you say, it's a, a very um, American concept, uniquely American, I'd say. And a lot of my listeners are not from the USA. Uh, a lot of UK people, Europeans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I know folks are listening to this, thinking, "What on earth are you talking about?" In the UK, for example, we have uh, good old Radio Three from the BBC, and we have Classic FM, which is a much more commercial variants on that, but nothing like this. And I have to say that one of the great joys for, for me coming to um, Baltimore all of 16 years ago was discovering you guys and finding that 
you were not only playing great music, but you were relevant and local to, to the community as well. And as you say, it's uh, funded by a, a university here. And um, um, that again is an unusual concept. Okay, so I need, I need to correct you, my, my dear sweet host, because we are not funded by the university. We are licensed to the university. We do not receive a penny uh, uh, That's an outrage. It's outrageous. A, we don't receive, receive a penny from them. Um, no, no, not a penny, not a, not a, not a groschen, not a pfennig, not a sou, not a pence, not a lira, nothing. You made the point. You made the Thank point, you. Jonathan. Um, and so everything that we, everything we make is from 70% plus, and even now with COVID, is from our listeners. Um, it's literally listener funded. So in non-COVID times, it would be the classic way, 70% from our listeners, 15% from uh, underwriting, mostly from other performance groups, and 15% from grants from the federal government. We get a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and a grant from the Maryland State Arts Council. Those are the two principal grants we make, and those are about together about $150,000. Budget is about $1.6 million. Um, of which we usually spend about 1.3. Um, and we usually have a two to $300 surplus every year, which we bank and use for capital improvement projects, et cetera. Um, so the, neither the college, Baltimore City Community College, who holds the license, nor the state of Maryland or the city of Baltimore gives us operating funds. So is a solely listener, and with COVID even more so, right? Because all of our underwriting, like the symphony or like uh, those various institutions, uh, ha is either gone or curtailed sharply. The symphony hasn't done underwriting with us for a long time because the symphony is out of business right now. Um, I think they'll come back as they do more virtual things. And I think performance groups will come back as they do more virtual things. But our listeners have stepped up to a degree that is mind-blowing just mind-blowing well jonathan i've never stood so corrected in all my life <laughs> no, it's a passionate point isn't it it's a, it's a passionate point but i think but, you um, made the point by the yes. way you're wearing a shirt which says relax so. it does it does that's true actually this is from um in in uh, former times i haven't done it for a while i'm a platelet donor so that was what that was from uh and probably i will be a platelet donor again you know jonathan your voice when it comes over the airwaves, I, I find it um, a mixture of informative, uh, comforting, uh, knowledgeable, and sometimes inspiring as well. I don't know which, if any of those, you want to be, um, but that's why I want to question you a little more about what you see as your role, if you see it as a role rather yeah. than a job. Right, right. This is a fascinating question. You know, what are we, what are we trying to do? Um, I think we're advocates for this music. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, uh, I like to cook and I am a huge fan of the New York Times uh, cooking app. And uh, they have a fantastic person who is associated with New York Times and she's also an author and very talented. Her name is uh, Samin Nosrat. I've never met this one. She's uh, Iranian or Iranian-American, extremely smart, has written a fantastic book called Salt, Acid, Fat, Heat. It's a great book. Teach you everything you need to know about cooking in a, in a very short period of time. Very, very smart. 
And she did a series on Netflix. There's a point to this, Andrew. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting there. Um, uh, Your Honor, I'm getting to the point. And, and, uh, and she did this fantastic series on Netflix in four parts, salt, acid, fat, heat, heat, about an hour and a half or an hour on each aspect of food. And they, when she talked about music for the series, she said anything except classical. And it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it just broke my heart because, because here's somebody I admire tremendously who I am still admire tremendously. And, you know, um, she's an incredible person, an amazing, amazing, amazing person. And yet, and yet for some reason, this music was associated with snobbiness, with uh, being closed rather than open, with um, a certain erudition, everything she didn't want. And yet when I hear this music, this music can be open, this music can be inclusive, this music can be beautiful, this music can be moving. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be this, you know, this music doesn't have to be superior to be great. This music is great. Um, just like Matisse is great or the way Van Gogh is great or, you know, um, and, and so when I hear things like that, this is what my job is. My job is, and I'm not even going to say the word accessible because I think it's stupid and I'm tired of excess and I'm tired of relevant. Those two words, yeah. I'm tired of both of those. This music is worthy of enjoyment. This music is also worthy of study. Uh, I mean, you can, so on WBJC, how you consume the music is up to you. Um, we will present it in a rather succinct way, although sometimes we dwell a little bit more on things. Um, but, but our job is to present this music in the most attractive, palatable way possible. Sometimes, like when we did the 30 and 30 series, those are a complete format bust for us. We've never done anything like this before. Spend eight minutes talking about the life of a composer on the radio. Crazy. And yet people love them. And they were so enthusiastic to see who's it going to be tomorrow? What's it going to be like? What's the composer going to be? I mean, people were so excited about it and we got so much buzz about it. So I want to be all of those things for this music. This is music I've been, you know, I started studying guitar when I was 13. I did my years in conservatory, as Verdi said, the years in the galleys. Um, I burned out completely on playing guitar, got into radio fell in love with the video and fell in love with the guitar again. Uh, and, um, and you know, uh, this music is just, it's a life and it's a great life. Um, I'm doing the, the set of BSO concerts with my wife, with Kati Harrison. We're the hosts for this. And your fantastic daughter has been, you know, she's, she's just great. You know, she should be the apple of your eye because she's amazing. Is she your only child, by the way? She is not. There's another apple as well as it were. There's another apple. Okay. Yeah, the whole world knows now we have two children. Yeah, Rosie. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. So so, uh, she's just great to work with. I have to give you a compliment about her because she's, and, uh, you know, uh, who knows how long the BSO will keep her, but, you know, we're grateful for the time we have. Um, and, And frankly, I, you know, we're doing Mahler 9 this, this, uh, this week, and uh, it's a life-changing experience. I do, I do think it's not a piece for now. You know, no, it is a no, bad piece all. for now. Yeah. And, and uh, it is too much for now, frankly. Uh, and, um, 
Uh, That's fascinating you say that, uh, because that, that leads me into, a, into another um, uh, tangent, as it were, from, from what you've uh, just been telling us. And that is, I mean, some music um, brings up uh, certain images, connotations, um, attitudes, whatever you want to call them. But do you choose music to play on the station, if you choose the music, um, do you choose music to play on the station that is born of an understanding of the, the nature of your audience? And over the years, have you seen uh, sort of societal changes in, in the audience? And how does that impact your thinking? These are very interesting uh, things to think about. So when I first started in professional radio in 1986, I worked for a man named Carrie Smith. And Carrie Smith was an old radio guy with a deep voice, uh, and he was, a, he was a, a good programmer. And he believed in a couple of things. He believed in uh, a heavy rotation of light works and a heavy rotation of solid symphonic works. And boy, by God, for 20 years, we played a lot of Supe overtures, you know? And WBJC was very much defined by uh, a series of popular overtures and, and also by the great symphonies. And we played those a lot and the rotation was heavy. When he left, I relaxed things a bit for better or for worse. I don't really care. We probably lost some audience in doing this, to be honest, in terms of numbers, but we gained people who really cared about the radio station and who really cared about the music. And, and frankly, egotistically, I wanted to run a radio station that I wanted to listen to. And this is bad radio. This is like, this is cardinal number one sin, you know, and yet I did it and I'm proud of doing it. And it's worked out fine. We have, you know, we're still in the black, we have enough money and we're playing the things that we want to play. Now that's within reason. We don't play anything hideously ugly. You know, the great Karl Heinz Stockhausen uh, works do not grace uh, the table at WBJC and I'm fine with this. Um, we play things that are gonna be attractive, but, but there's a nice mixture of obscure things and things that are popular. Um, my, my, you cannot run a radio station without playing the canon. One of the things I'm shocked about in conservatories is there's this concept that, oh, the canon, that's passe. And the canon isn't passe. Nobody knows it. You no, know, no. I was- Fewer I was, and fewer people. I was lecturing uh, the BSO a, a long time and and uh and i oh boy it was a bad moment for me uh i said this is donors you know expensive donors big money in the lobby of the meyerhoff you know you know where i'm talking about you know what i speak and somebody asked me so what do you think is going to happen to classical music orchestras and i said and i would never say this today uh, it's insane i said well you know, all of art has a beginning, a middle and an end. You know, uh, Adam and Eve did not play symphonies. You know, the symphony was born with Sammartini and, you know, who knows, maybe it dies with, I don't know, uh, John Adams, you know, mm. uh, uh, and, and the people at the BSO, God bless them, the development people, especially, I think they lost 10 pounds, you know, uh, and, and I, I was, I thought, you know, Pilevsky, 
that's a rather arrogant answer because why would you want to harm fundraising of an institution that you truly love just because it's probably true you know i mean will we have symphony orchestra will we have the number of symphony orchestras that we have now i don't know but let's hope we do yeah, um, yeah but jonathan we have to recognize of course as well that the art form is very different from the business Mm-hmm. And the business of making music, you are and the correct. business the business of putting on concerts and sustaining maintaining symphony orchestras that's very different yeah. from actually being passionate about Mozart, Beethoven, Mahler, Tchaikovsky. You, you are so correct. You are. I mean, look, look. We can provide twenty four hours a day, seven days a week of classical music to radio audiences for one point three million dollars a year. You know, how many symphony concerts do you run out of at $1.3 million a year? Yeah, I mean, with human beings and live performance and in a hall and, oh my God, it's so expensive. Well, and there, it's there are a few statements. There are a few statements I have to, to repeat uh, very often with um, very well endowed donors, very well-meaning donors, donors uh, without whom my career wouldn't exist in this country at all. And those things are that making... Wonderful live music is very expensive. It always has been, it always will be. And if you're looking for a business model that's actually going to make money, break even, it's not going to happen. That's the first thing. The second thing that I think is pertinent to, to, to everything you're saying is that when people worry about audiences for classical music, they're all saying, oh, we've got to get the 20 year olds, the 30 year olds into the concert hall. I think that's the last thing in the world we should be bothering about they don't want to go and we have to sell our souls in the nature of the programming to to get them through the doors basically what we need to be doing is educating young people to enjoy playing instruments enjoy playing in ensembles enjoy making music and if they come to enjoy other live music making when they're grown up and when they want to spend some money on tickets that's the way it'll be so I think uh, the, the second part of the story was, and, and this is about, you know, programming and, and I'll come back to your comment because I think it's really interesting. Uh, the second part of this topic was I said to people, okay, how many of you can hum? And these are all BSO subscribers, people who spend a lot of money in the symphony. How many of you can hum the last movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the beginning of the last movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? And out of 225 people, there were two, and they were too shy to do it. And they came up to me afterwards and went, dum, 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 bum, 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 bum. And they were so shy about it because, because they didn't want to like be Mr. Smarty Pants in front of the other uh, you know, patrons. The most famous of this music is unknown. And anybody who tells you that, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of hearing blah, 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 it's not true. No. This music is as fresh and relevant today as it was 50 years ago. Well, you used as as your, your least favorite word there. You said relevant. I did, I did, I did. Yeah, I apologize. That. But look, if, if somebody like you and I uh, can still get excited about listening to the Pathetic Symphony or Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, New World Symphony, and every time mm-hmm. I hear those pieces, I, I'm absolutely thrilled and I really do get excited, then there are going to be countless people out there who haven't experienced that joy and and we have a responsibility to bring it to them. You know, if Prince Esterhazy couldn't make Haydn profitable, you know, yeah. I mean, think about it. He had 30 years to figure out a way how Haydn could make a buck for him. <laughs> uh, 
you know, from 1760 to 1790. Uh, and uh, you it, know your numbers, Jonathan. That's I funny. do know my numbers. I, I'm Haydn. By the way, if Mahler 9 is not the music for now, Haydn is the music for now. Haydn is the perfect music for this time. Um, from everything, from his symphonies to his string quartets to his masses to his piano sonatas, Joseph Haydn is the music for the pandemic. It is restorative. It is beautiful. It is extremely well crafted, uh, and it is passionate, and and it is it is what we should be listening to a lot right now. I think Mahler is too much, especially Mahler nine, ugh, um, too much death, too much about death, too much about leaving, too much about leave taking. Um, you know that two note uh, theme in Mahler that. It's just, it's just this. It's such a simple idea, and yet it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And uh, and it, and it encompasses just so much loss. And it just have, it compounds everything we're going through at the moment, rather than yeah. than lifts us up. We have enough loss right now. There is enough loss. Well, what yeah. is the future for radio? Future for radio is is well, it's cheap. Um, when the pandemic hit, uh, in, we fundraised in February and then the pandemic hit in March, we were going to fundraise in April and then we decided, you know, let's do it in May. And here so we are on the 1st of September recording. And here we are on the 1st of September and we decided, and we decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to fundraise and we're going to adapt things and we're going to do things a little more respectfully. You know, our fundraisers tend to be noisy. Our fundraisers had food donors who came and fed us and fed our volunteers. Our fundraisers had volunteers and people answered phones in a small room. Well, none of that was happening. And so we decided we're going to do a quiet and respectful drive. And we will ask our listeners with dignity to contribute online. And yeah, they did. Radio's cheap. It is, it is so inexpensive to provide so much. Um, we don't need national public radio. Um, as I say, we do this all on, you know, one, a budget of 1.6 and, and spending 1.3 a year. That's a, that's a, you know, and we, and we make it. Um, well, Jonathan, you know, uh, this has been the greatest pleasure um, picking your brains about a world that I know very little, but um, um, about which the, I, I draw enormous pleasure and, um, and joy and inspiration from listening to you guys. You have a wonderful team there, that radio station. Um, I'm sure there are many other stations across the country who try to emulate what you do. You do a fabulous job. I'm going to have enormous fun trying to edit this podcast because um, you know, your enthusiasm, it comes right across the airwaves. And um, I'm so grateful to you for, for being with us today. So Jonathan Polovsky, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. A lovely time with WBJC's Jonathan Polevsky. Next time on A Stick With A Point, my guest will be the fabulous composer Stacey Garrop, the first of a couple of interviews I have for you with two of the world's leading composers. In the meantime, do click on whatever like buttons, subscribe, follow and review buttons you can find. 
and don't hesitate to give me some feedback on Facebook. It really is lovely to hear from so many of you and such a positive sign that, through this numbing pandemic, we can all lend support to each other's creative interests and learn more about those who sustain them. So many people are telling us that the world will never be the same again, that concerts, operas, plays and the like are gone, as we know them, for good. I don't know, and neither does anybody else. But what I do know is that there is, within the human spirit, the unsuppressible urge to be together and to share, to perform and to entertain. Keep the faith. I'm Andrew Constantine, and you have just been listening to A Stick With A Point.